So today's verse is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. Thank you very much, Becca. Also, Psalms 144, 1 and 2. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. This is the word of God. So last week, um, I had said that uh, this was the end of the armor of God, and, and in a way it is, in a very real way it isn't, because the section title is not done, it goes on. In fact, um, Dennis Carney um, came up to me after service and told me, you're not done. And I'm like, you're right, how did you know? And the Holy Spirit had told him, so it's hard to keep a secret when the Holy Spirit is like, you know, watching everything you do and telling everybody. And then... <laughs> It's right, we are not done with the armor of God. The armor of God does not actually end with the sword of the Spirit. There's another piece that is before and throughout all these pieces of the armor of God. It is not given any kind of analogy, it is prayer. Prayer is essential to the armor of God. One thing Dennis had told me that I just want to share with you is he had this, he had this image that God was giving him of, uh, of Rocky the Roman. I don't have Rocky the Roman today. He's like, thank you. But anyway, um, kneeling before the cross, like an angel waiting for his orders. Prayer is very much like that as we await the orders of God, um, like an angel of God around God's throne worshiping before getting his orders. If we were to give an analogy in the battle realm to prayer, what would we use? Maybe the artillery the Romans used. The Romans um, employed so many different types of of, of ranged weapons. Many other nations around that time would use, you know, bows and arrows, slings, darts, and then, um, and of course the Romans would also use all those, but they had a few other tricks up their sleeve. They had one weapon, in which every legionary would, would uh, wield, excuse me, called the pilum. The pilum is a spear slash throwing javelin. Um, it was, uh, it was expertly designed. One problem you'd have with javelins is you could throw it it would stick into the enemy's shield. They would then rip it out, and then they could use it against you. The Romans didn't like this. You know, they, they're very particular over their own stuff. So what they would do is they would, um, with this uh, throwing javelin, they would have a long shaft of metal, and on the top have a armor-piercing tip. That piercing tip would be made out of hardened, tempered steel, while the rest of it was just made normal metal. And what would happen is they would throw these things, the back ranks, would then throw them when they engaged battle, and it would stick into the person's shield, and then it would bend. This had two great things for the for the legionaries um, against their against their opponents. First of all, they if they tried to take it back out, they could bend it. They wouldn't bend it right, so they wouldn't get that that sharp tip to be able to hurt the to hurt the other person. Not to mention, it's very hard to take that out once it's bent like that, kind of like a barb. Really hard to take that out. And now you have an extra weight on your shield, making your shield less, less able for you to use it effectively. That was one of the ways they used it 
they used artillery um, in during their time. Another was a weapon called the Scorpio. Scorpio was a very early version of a, um, of a uh, crossbow, except it was huge. It would fling darts and, uh, and uh, air, large arrows uh, an inc- incredible distance, much further than the enemy could attack. Um, it is described in detail by the early um, imperial Roman architect and engineer, Vesuvius in the first century B.C., and by the 4th century A.D. officer and historian Arminius, um, uh, I can't pronounce that last name. He said, it looks like a giant crossbow, and its range for the time, its range for the time was unbelievable. Up from that, you'd have the ballista. It was an upgrade of the scorpion, uh, the scorpion or Scorpio. It was like a much larger um, crossbow, and it would fling not only arrows, but also rocks. And all of these things were designed to strike fear into the enemies of the, Ro- of the Roman of the Roman legionari. Prayer is the weapon God has given us to strike fear into the enemy. Amen. From the book, The Kneeling Christian, there is nothing the devil, the devil dreads so much as prayer. His great concern is to keep us from praying. Someone has wisely said that Satan laughs at our, at our tooling, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. We can have all the bluster, all the bragging, all the stuff we want, talking about how stupid the devil is and things, and mocking him and all that, and he doesn't care. He laughs at that nonsense. But when a Christian prays, he takes notice. He'll do everything in his power to stop that one thing from the people of God praying together. And if you don't believe me, look at this last year. He will do everything in his power to stop this because he fears prayer. Prayer changes things. There are so many times where we're encouraged to pray, to pray, to pray. Prayer is not only artillery, it's also support. You may have heard of the title of centurion. There's a centurion who asks Jesus to pray for his servant who he feels like, who he, who he treats like a son. And he tells Jesus, Jesus is amazed at this man's faith, because he tells Jesus, I have people under me, I tell them to do it, and they do it. You're a man of authority if you say, I know my servant will be healed. Jesus is amazed at this man's faith. Centurion, a centurion was a commander of a century. A century means 100, um, and a centurion was a commander of 100. Historians for years were perplexed by this because, according to records, there's really no more than 80 fighting men in a century. So they thought maybe it was an honorary term. But then they found out something very interesting, that they would have at least 20 support personnel assigned to them. So the whole unit would be 100. So they considered, when they counted men for war, they considered those who were supporting and those who were doing the fighting as well. Um, Prayer is like that for us. It is our support. It is the support we give one another. It supports the rest of the armor of God. It strengthens us. It preserves it. One... One job support personnel would have would be, to, would be to keep the armor up, to repair the armor. When it comes to us, prayer is that thing that keeps our armor up. It repairs the damage that is done. A person who is not praying, a person who is not praying gets damaged armor, and damaged armor is not very good. They forget to take that up. The soldier standing, here's the final part of prayer that you could use an analogy for soldiers. It is the soldier standing by for orders. Those in the military tell me that, that there's a phrase that they quickly become acquainted with, and that is hurry up and wait. 
Hurry up and wait. See, some of you have served, you're like, yeah, I know. Um, you're told to get to a place at a certain time, at a certain, at a, a certain time, in a certain way, and you better be there. It doesn't matter if they're ready for you or not. You better be there on time, exactly where you're supposed to be. You are told, uh, once again, you're told to be at a certain place at a certain time. You better be there at that time and at that place. But once you do, it may be some time before you actually receive your orders. Prayer is like this. We pray at all times with all prayers, with all perseverance for all the saints. And we pray in the Spirit awaiting orders. Those good works our Commander-in-Chief has prepared for us since before the creation of the world. Look at Israel when they went to war. Even in their most... Even in their most sinful eras, they would inquire of the Lord. They inquire of the Lord. In fact, and there's, there's this one time during the king, reign of King Ahab, in fact, at the, end of the king of, at the end of King Ahab's reign, in which he is doing a joint operation with the king of Judah, and they are inquiring of the prophets, and the king of Judah asks, is there not a prophet of the Lord we can inquire of? Of course, Ahab did not want to inquire of the Lord, but he felt like he had to, so he did. The man told him true, and he threw the man in jail. Dear believer, we need to be praying for the battles that we are going into. You have heard of a prayer warrior. This morning, I want to call prayer warriors to battle. I want to call every one of us to pray like a warrior. God's warriors, God's warrior seems like a contradiction, a person of peace. Even an attitude, um, even an attitude of peace, but when released, gets a singular focus and becomes violent in prayer. In Shakespeare's play Henry V, there's this quote: "In peace, there's nothing. There's nothing so becomes a man as modest, modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of the war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of a tiger." Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood, disguise, disguise the fair nature with hard-favored rage. The believer needs to be at war in their prayers. Needs to be ready for war in their prayers. Needs to cast off all the, well, maybe, uh, you know, kind of um, limp way we go along, but to stand firm and fervent in prayer because we have been given the armor of God to stand on the day of sin and on the day of evil. David Jeremiah of Turning Point has this prayer on the armor of God that I want to share with you. Heavenly Father, your warrior prepares for battle. Today I claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. I put on the girdle of truth. May I stand firm in the truth your words so. I will not be a victim of Satan's lies. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. May I guard my heart from evil so I will remain pure and holy, protected under the blood of Jesus Christ. I put on the shoes of peace. May I stand firm in the, God, in the good news of the gospel so your peace will shine through me and be a light to all I encounter. I take up the shield of faith. May I be ready for Satan's fiery darts of doubt, denial, and deceit, so I will not be vulnerable to spiritual defeat. I put on the helmet of salvation. May I keep my mind focused on you, so Satan will not have a stronghold on my thoughts. I take the sword of the Spirit. May the two-edged sword of your word be ready in my hands, so I can expose the tempting words of Satan. Pray like a warrior fights. 
Paul uses the imagery of a soldier and ends it in prayer, so pray like a warrior fights. Be gentle in all aspects, but one, pray like you are going to war. Pray as though the battle hinges on your prayers. Are you standing? Do you have your shield up and your sword ready? Well, what does your prayer life look like? That's a good question. We can say I'm putting on the armor of God, but what does your prayer life look like? Leonard Ravenhill said, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. At the end of the armor of God, it is ending in prayer, but prayer proceeds and lifts up the rest of the armor. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20 is the actual end of the armor of God and ends in prayer. We have four instructions on how prayer is to be, is to be conducted. And it is preceded in each one by all, all times, all prayers, all perseverance, and all saints. And all saints. Um, first part here, all times. Get to, here we are. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. All times. When do you pray most? Great question, right? Take a stock of your life and answer the question, when do I pray the most? For most people, whether saved or unsaved, it is tragedy. When things get bad, even Israel during their most sinful were that same way. But when things got really bad, they would cry out to the Lord. Does that describe your prayer life? Or is it around just meals and tragedy? Many will pray for hours and hours and still feel like God doesn't hear their prayers. How does one pray powerful, effective prayers and at all times? You literally can't be, uh, you literally can't be talking or having an internal monologue all the time. Eventually, you do have to focus on things time to time. So how does one pray at all times? How do you do like what, what 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How do you pray at all times? In Colossians 1, 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you may be filled with all knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. One way we do not pray at all times is by simply developing a mantra. I've heard this before, and it couldn't be more wrong. In fact, Jesus preaches against this. Developing a mantra would be like you thinking of some kind of prayer that you would then say throughout the day in the back of your mind, you know, God is good or something like that. God's not impressed by our many words. That's not really prayer. That's just repeating something over and over and over. How do you pray at all times? Um, here's one way. Develop God-colored glasses. Have you heard the phrase, that guy has rose-colored glasses? It means that no matter what happens, that person is always going to have an optimistic view. We need to have a perspective on the world that is centered in the Word of God, that is God-colored glasses. When you look at the news, you're filled with fear you don't have God-colored glasses on. You're not taking, it's also known as a Christian worldview. To see things through the lens of the Scripture, to see the lens through the lens of the Spirit of God, instead of in our own fleshly nature. Here is probably the primary way you can you can pray at all times and never cease in prayer. I call it having an open phone call. 
The worst phone calls I've ever had the displeasure of being on is when the other person just won't stop. They don't want to hear anything I have to say. They just want to talk to me. That's not a real phone call. That's not a real conversation. Sometimes in prayer, that's what we do, right? We feel like we have to, we have to, we have to fill up every little space with our own words. Well, that's not a conversation. That's not a dialogue. That's a monologue. In fact, probably it's more like a soliloquy. A soliloquy is when there's nobody, just you talking. Jesus had a lot to say about this. He said that the pagans think they'll be heard for their many words. They're told in Scripture to be still and know that He is God. Amen. To have times where we stand before God in the stillness, awaiting inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we can pray in the Spirit. We need to remember that this is a dialogue. We have his word to read, to, to, be, to, to know what his pleasing, perfect will is. And then also, you can just be praying throughout all your day by having the phone call open. I don't know if you ever did this, maybe when you were first dating your spouse, and if you had to be kind of a far ways away, um, if you had like a little earpiece, I think me and Becca did this every now and again, and we would, we would be on a phone call, and neither of us would be talking for lengths of time, but we were together. We still had that communication open. It's keeping the lines of communication throughout your entire day. I call it the open phone call. Also, pray day and night. There's a lot to be said and a lot of very good things to be said about having a morning devotion time. Never limit your prayer time with God, though. He doesn't just want your mornings. He wants it all. Be open at all points in time to his direction, to his leading to carry God with you throughout all the day. You've been to events, you've been to uh, different things with your spouse or with a friend, and even though you're not talking, you're experiencing life together, experience life together with the Holy Spirit. It's one of the greatest benefits we have because the Holy Spirit lives within us. We can pray at all times. And we can pray with all prayers. Now, in this, he's not really referring to learned prayers, like book, books of prayer. That's something that wouldn't be developed in, for quite a while um, after Paul. This is long before any church would have had anything like that. All prayers, is, all, all prayers is talking about all kinds of prayers. So what are the different kinds of prayers? You'll see throughout the Psalms, throughout the Epistles, many different kinds of prayers. But I'm just going to focus on four different kinds of prayers today. Now that could be a whole another sermon series. I'll try to keep this free-ish. We'll see. Um, this is the Acts prayer. Acts prayer, it's an acronym, meaning every one of these letters stands for another word, or acrostic, I should say. A, A is for adoration. These are prayers that adore God for who he is, not what he has done. I think one of the most stirring prayers of adoration is in Psalm 70, uh, 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David is known as the man after God's own heart, not Solomon. Solomon was asked by the Lord, I will do anything for you, just name it. And he chooses something great. He chooses wisdom. David chose the better thing. One thing I would have asked of the Lord and that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. That, that is our heart's yearning. It is our heart's yearning to know God. 
We can talk about all the blessings that we hope for, all the blessings we could pray for, but the one our hearts should be most focused on is the greatest thing in all of creation. It is to know God as I am known. One thing I would ask of the Lord that I would seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of those prayers that is all kinds of prayers is a prayer of adoration. I was challenged at this one time, I had to look at my prayer life. Is it just a list of things I want? Like a list I would give Santa Claus? Or is it a time where I connect with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Where I go into the house of the Lord and see the beauty of my King? C stands for confession. Prayers of confession, um, prayers of con- confession cleans and purifies God's soldiers for the war. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This verse is commonly used when we, are using, when we use it for evangelism, but this verse is for you, and it is for me. This verse actually does not even apply to the unbeliever. Because, because it is not, um, it says here, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why would he be faithful and just if the sinner has not repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ to forgive their sins? We then circumvent the gospel if we use this for unbelievers. Here's the powerful thing, dear believer. It is faithful and just for God, for God to forgive you for your sins because he already has. It is right. It is proper. Because when he looks at you, he looks at the cross. If you're going throughout your weeks and you're like, I feel unclean, I feel dirty. Maybe you haven't had a lot of time with confessing your sins. It's not, it's not for God's sake, it's for your sake. Amen. That you would not have such stains on you because they're not for you to take. Confess our sins. Now that word confess in the, in the original language, it means to speak the same as. So this is not me just bringing my list to God and saying, well, I'm sorry. Real confession, real Christian confession is when we go to God and we speak our sins and we speak of them the same way He does. We don't make excuses. Well, God, I know I said that bad word, but man, that coworker really got me angry today. That's not speaking the same as. Speaking the same as would be, God, I know that no unclean thing should pass from my lips, that as your ambassador in my workplace, I represent you, and I I know you wouldn't talk like that. And to know the sorrow over such sin, then we know that he still he is not he is not ashamed of forgiving us. He doesn't regret forgiving us. It is he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So many Christians they let the devil they let the devil paralyze them with false guilt when all they are is a prayer away from being purified and cleansed. Another one of the prayers that are part of the all kinds of prayers is a prayer of thanksgiving. Tea is thanksgiving. I know turkey is not on anyone's mind, but thanksgiving is not just a season, it is a lifestyle. Prayers for thanksgiving embolden the child of God. The same God who parted the Red Sea is the same God who, who is working in the storm of your life today. Psalm 9.1 I will give thanks to the Lord... I'll give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all of your wonderful deeds. In your prayer of thanksgiving, get very specific. The things that God has done in your life. 
There's this refrain in several of the Psalms, His love endures forever. They'll speak of something God did in the past, with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, His love endures forever. As they remember the Exodus. I remember reading this, and I put that in my own life. I said, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, in my most powerless state, God saved me. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, I should have lived a life like so many of my peers, but God saved me and given me a new destiny. His love endures forever. A prayer of thanksgiving emboldens the child of God to know that no matter how big the mountain in front of me is, I serve a God who moves the mountains. S. Supplication. That's the word in my scripture right here. Supplication. It's an old word. It's not a word used very much. In, uh, in my translations, once again, in Ephesians 6.18, they use this word. It simply means to ask. It's just and right for you to ask the Lord for your needs and even your wants. Your, however, your fervent supplication will reveal your heart. Do you desire the things of heaven or the things of earth? Is your heart set on earthly things or on heavenly things? Well, does your, well, does your prayers of supplication, where you ask of the Lord what you need, do they sound more like a shopping list or a list for Santa Claus, or an inventory of arms, like the officer in charge of supplies? One of the aspects of the support staff that were in the century was to gather the supplies for the soldiers. Is your list of prayers, are they just about you focus on earthly things, or do you pray for the saints as well? What should you ask for? What we think we need and what we actually do need are, are often two different things. What we daily need, what we daily need to ask for is one, victory over sin in our lives. Two, victory over sin in other believers' lives. And three, the willing to fight and to keep fighting. Obviously not exhaustive, but these are three things we should pray day to day because we know our fellow believers are constantly in battle as we are. We are told to pray with all perseverance. I love perseverance. It's one of the virtues I think is the most important virtue to have. So even if you have great talent, you're going to lose eventually. I mean, the, the, uh, the Yankees, they don't win them all, right? You know, uh, Michael Jordan, he didn't win every, he, every, every time he shot at the hoop, he didn't, he didn't sink it in. The difference between success and failure is perseverance. It's not that those who succeed uh, fail less. They actually fail more. They just fail until they succeed. Perseverance is the one quality that outshines all others. Natural ability can only get you so far, but if you just give up at the first sign of defeat, you will be defeated. But perseverance will carry you, carry you to completion. Do you persevere in prayer? Persevering in prayer doesn't change God, it changes you. C.H. Spurgeon said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance but laying hold of his willingness. I thought that was so powerful. Amen. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. See, God, there's three ways that God will answer a prayer. Yes, no. I know there's some people who think God never says no. He says no a lot. And for our own good. And wait. It's not time yet. Perseverance, then, in prayer, will lay hold of God's willingness to be on his agenda to be on his page. This makes us bold. Amen. Another quote from C.H. Spurgeon about prayer. Whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. If you 
If you may have everything by asking in his name and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how how absolutely vital prayer is. Stop complaining that you don't have if you are not praying. Stop complaining that you are not where you should be when you are not praying. The persistent widow. Jesus tells a story in Luke 18 about a widow, an unjust judge. The widow is is there night and day begging for justice, and eventually the unjust judge gives her justice. Jesus' point here is that an unjust judge would do so for somebody who is persistent. How much more will the righteous judge give? Now, when it comes to perseverance in prayer, one thing that God God dealt with me long ago was the way I prayed. Because sometimes I would pray to fill up the air. You know, or maybe it was even a bit, to be honest, a little bit performance. You know, you'd be praying with people, and you would just, you know, it was your time to prayer, so you'd pray, so you'd pray fervently, and I'd pray these loud, loud prayers, and I'd go on for half hour, hour, never letting a moment slide, and, and God really convicted me of this, but that's not really praying, Jason. It's not praying, you're just saying words. Do you mean any of them? Does your heart stir with each word? So you probably notice a lot of the prayers I pray on Sunday morning, I don't do very long-winded prayers. I could. I mean, I have a history of very long-winded prayers. <laughs> but I'm so convicted that every word I say, I want to be. I don't want a single word to be idle. I don't want a single word to be just because I have to do it. I think that's a, I think that's a facet track of making your prayer life moot. A person who perseveres in prayer is like that widow demanding justice. There's perseverance in war. The Roman military doctrine was based on perseverance. They stood and advanced slowly and together. They would outlast any opponent and grind them to dust. Our prayers should be like that. What end up getting getting ground to dust when we persevere in prayer, however, is anything in us that does not look like Jesus Christ. There's this story, it's one of my favorite stories to talk about um, when we talk about Roman and their battles. It was over in England, over in the UK. Um, it is the story of uh, Queen Boudicai of the Essenes, um, modern-day Britain. Um, I'm not going to go too far into this story here, but basically, Rome had was on, Rome was on the wrong side of something. Um, what they had done in the past is they allowed these different tribes to rule themselves. And uh, one of these tribes, the Essenians, um, their chieftain dies, and the authority should have went to his wife until he had another heir. And a tax collector decided, um, hey, I just would like that land. He does something uh, absolutely heinous to Boudicai and her daughters, and uh, Boudicai becomes enraged, and she then leads a campaign, destroys several Roman cities in Britain, and then the Roman legion then um, has to travel over there, and they are outnumbered 10 to 1, but they still win the victory because they had perseverance. Instead of running away from the battle, being outnumbered, they then get into their formation, they take the battle slowly, they rout the enemy. In our prayers, when we persevere in prayer, we can rout the enemy as well. Because we know greater is he is within us than he who is in the world. The best Satan can make you do is give up. Amen. Don't give up. Greater is he who is within me than he is in the world. Finally, we are to pray for all saints. Have you heard this phrase? I'm no saint. We say it to make us feel better about being a kind of, whatever kind of jerk that fits us this week. But at least I'm not like that other jerk. Am I right? I'm no saint, but look at them. I'm no saint, but Bill cheats on his taxes. 
So what is a saint? Isn't that a good thing to be talking about? When we think of saints, we probably think of Catholic saints. Like St. Jude, the patron saint of cops and uh, and lost causes, if the movie The Untouchables is to be believed. In order to be a saint in the Catholic Church, you need to go through many different hoops. You have to have several miracles attributed to you posthumously, meaning when you're dead. But what does the Bible say who a saint is? Well, the word saint in our text today is hagios. This is a word we translate as saint in our English language. In the scripture, this term is applied not only to a few exceptional believers, but to all sons and daughters of God. If you are a son and daughter of God today, you are a saint. It means holy ones. Holy in the Bible means to be set apart. One of the words we translate as church is also, is, is also known as the called out ones. You, even if you have... You, if you have repented of your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. So, teenagers, tomorrow you go to school and tell everyone you're a saint. I'm just kidding. But um, I mean, you are a saint if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But you should not lord it over people. <coughs> We're better together. We pray for all the saints. The formation the Romans used was the manifold formation. When it comes to um, when it comes to um, archaic warfare, the formation of your troops meant everything. If your formation held, your losses would be at a minimum. If it broke, casualties would be catastrophic. The Greeks had their phalanx. The Romans had the maniple. The maniple would later be described as the phalanx with arms and legs. It was more flexible and more adaptable than the phalanx, but still made the strength. But still had the strength, but it was of the immovable object but also had much more, uh, much more versatility. Dear believers, we are God's body. We are arms and legs of Jesus Christ. We stand together. When we stand together in prayer, when we stand together, when we pray for saints across the world, praying for the persecuted church, much like that manifold formation, we are mighty. Rudyard Kipling, the uh, author of the book, The Jungle Book, has this quote in there on the law of the jungle. This is, now this is the law of the jungle. As old, as true as the sky. And the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that break it shall, must die. For the, strength of the ca- uh, for the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. The idea of being a lone ranger Christian is so anti-biblical. To come together, to join together, that is what God calls us to because we are stronger together. We pray for one another. We bear each other's burdens as we did today when I had you pray for one another. When we bear one another's burdens, we're very much like that manifold formation. We're very much like what Paul asks us to do, to pray for all of the saints. Of any formation, you want to be greater than the sum of the parts. Because why have a formation if it's just going to be the same as everybody doing whatever they want? For any group, any organization, or team, the goal is that the result of that union is greater than the whole, uh, than the sum of the parts. This is true of the church. All the saints together are greater than all the saints alone. One of the evidence of a transformed life is that you would love the brethren, love the church. This is maybe something that is a little counterintuitive nowadays because a lot of people like to bash the church. You know what I'm talking about? We want to talk about problems and we'll talk about every little thing that we can to make it seem um, make it seem much, much worse than it is. Not that we're perfect. We are all being made in the image of Jesus Christ, being sanctified. 
Watch that your criticism doesn't become hate for God's bride. Know somebody in your life? Start bashing their spouse constantly. See how long you're their friend. We pray for all the saints. How often do you pray for the saints? Do you pray for other believers? That you know personally, or maybe not personally? It's it's a good idea and something we are asked to do to constantly pray for all believers. I would suggest that you make it a part of your day-to-day prayer life to pray for other believers around the world. Pray for saints, perhaps in a different country or state. Pray for saints in China, Iraq, Mexico, Canada. I think this is important above all times because it's not as easy in other places as it is for us today. And it's getting harder today for us. But it's a whole lot harder, even in other Western countries for believers who meet together according to the conscience and according to the will of God that God has given them. It's hard. Some of them, it's, it's, it's a death penalty. If anybody should find out that they were once a Muslim and now a Christian, that's a death penalty in some countries. Are you praying for the other believers? Are you gathering Are you, are you gathering with them in prayer to pray over them? Pray for the persecuted church. It's one of the things that God has put on my heart constantly is to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters across the world. I was at a convention one time in which that's what we did. And those who were there, the missionaries, they said the one thing that they always hear from the persecuted church, they don't ask that the persecution would stop. They've asked for strength to endure. Because what God will do through the persecution is greater than what he does without it. That is a person who has a mindset on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Here's another way we pray for all the saints when we take communion. One of the aspects of communion I love is that it reminds me I'm part of a big family. I have brothers and sisters all around the world. When I drink of the cup and I eat of the bread, I am reminded that the same metaphorical blood and flesh is in my brothers and sisters across the world. What we pray. What supplication do you offer for the saints around the world? Why, what Paul asked for himself. He ends, he says, he... He prays that words would be given to him. That they would open up, that he'd be able to open up his mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel and to proclaim boldly despite the cost. That is what we pray for our believers here in this church and around the world. Those very things to pray, to pray that that words would be given to them, that they would have that their mouths would be able to boldly, boldly proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, to declare boldly despite the cost. This has become harder and harder in our modern day world. We need to pray for one another for this strength. Finally, you may think I I omitted it, but I wanted to talk about it last. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. That is one of the things that we are told to do um, in this section. How do you pray in the Spirit? Now, often, not often, sometimes, uh, that verse has been taken to mean to pray in tongues. And it's actually not really what it's referring to. It's, it's something, you know, you can pray in tongues, and you, you can get into that to get into praying in the Spirit. When we pray in tongues, we edify ourselves. So that builds us up. Well, praying in the Spirit is praying according to the will of the Spirit. The grammar in this section is more properly um, translated as praying according to the Spirit. So if that happens, maybe you sit down and you pray. It seems, you know, we'll, we'll use the word dry. I'm not a big fan of that word, but whatever. Um, you know what I'm talking about. You, you just kind of start going through, maybe you do the Acts prayer. Humble yourself before God. Be silent before God. 
your spirit starts interacting with his spirit when you take in that time. And the Holy Spirit starts bringing things to your mind to pray for. You start praying like somebody like somebody you've never known before. Because the Holy Spirit is teaching you to pray. Because you now know what you ought to pray. He intercedes in these groans in your very spirit, in your very heart. And you start praying. You may even start praying for things you didn't know you should be praying about. This is the interaction of the Holy Spirit in our life. That is our goal in prayer to get to. Not to just be like, I, I checked it off my list today. I prayed for X, Y, and Z. But when I get into the deep part of prayer, the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and I get to supplication, and all of a sudden I start praying more boldly than I've ever prayed before. Amen. I pray like a warrior fights. I pray as one who is not afraid of the consequences. I pray like one, like very much like the people that we read about in Scripture. Peter, Peter the coward becomes Peter the bold. Paul the persecutor becomes Paul the leader of the, of the Gentile believers. So, like I said in the beginning of my sermon today, I am calling prayer warriors to battle. I am calling you to be a prayer warrior. Worship team, would you come up here? I'd like us to do the second song. We're not going to do the last song. So I tried to, I think I succeeded, create some time at the end of our service to where we can just tarry in prayer together. Just wait and pray together. Something we haven't done often, maybe we should, where we just have a time of prayer together. You can stand, you can sit. Do what you please, but tarry in prayer consciously. One of the things he tells us to keep alert with all perseverance. What are the things that you need to be praying for? What is the miracle you need in your life? What are the things, what are the saints that you need to be praying for that you know are going through a tough time right now? This is our time to pray. Easter's coming up soon. Resurrection Day. In my opinion, that's really New Year. That's really when we start things, the resurrection, the new life of Christ. As, that, as we count down the weeks, as we lead up to it, we're praying to God, God, what would you have me do in this year? From spring to spring, what are you calling me to do? Be like the soldier waiting for his orders. Pray boldly, pray with authority.